It's a Saturday morning on CCO when we have a little bit of a wine chat with our friend Jack Farrell from Haskell's. Good morning, Jack. Jenny, how are you this morning? I am doing quite well. Thank you for asking. I hope you are and your family and all the good folks at Haskell's are doing the same. Looks like a beautiful weekend. Yes, and we're entitled every now and then. It's yes, nice to are. have a little rain. Yes. It'll be nice to ha- be able to outdoor and enjoy it. Absolutely. I'd be very remiss if I didn't mention today is National Prosecco Day. Prosecco happens to be a favorite of mine. It's a great aperitif. It's a frizzante wine from Italy. It has a little bubble in it. It's not really champagne. It's just sort of spritzy. With, uh, and it's a very interesting wine. It's not really champagne. It's just sort of spritzy. With, uh, and it's a very interesting wine. It's, it's gotten so popular just in the last 12 years. It's gone from 20 million bottles to over 600 million bottles sold worldwide. So it's very popular. It's only produced in Italy, and it's produced in a large swath of Italy. Nine different provinces can make Prosecco. But by the European Union laws, only Italy has the right to the name Prosecco. And it's kind of interesting to me that Prosecco grape was renamed Galera about eight or nine years ago, uh, just so to avoid confusion. Uh, the grape got a new name. It's been, in my opinion, perhaps the only time I've ever heard of a, a grape type being renamed uh, for really economic reasons. But it is now called the Prosecco grape, and it's from Prosecco. And if you're looking for a wonderful little spritzy aperitif, look no further than Prosecco. And also Prosecco because it's very inexpensive. It isn't made like champagne. You know, when you make champagne, it takes about three years to get real champagne in the bottle. Methodose champenoise, or the champagne method, is very complicated. This frizzante is made in a matter of months, and it's made in vats that are enormous, hold hundreds of thousands of liters, and it's made very quickly. But it doesn't make any difference. It's a pleasant enough drink. And in my opinion, if you're having mimosas or any kind of a sparkling aperitif where you're going to add a little something to the wine. Prosecco is the one to go to because its modest price uh, is just great and it works as a mixer very, very well. Today I thought I would talk a little bit about Spanish wines only because uh, in the world of wine, it's one of the great, great values there is today are the wines of Spain. And you talk to people and they say Spanish wines, well, they all say sangria. And about two or three weeks ago, we talked about sangria. It's a wonderful uh, Italian, or Spanish wine punch uh, made with fruits, wine, oftentimes a little brandy added to it, uh, and club soda. And it's light, and it's perfect thing for the summer. But, but Spanish wines is really a lot, lot more than sangria. Uh, it make, the whole country produces wine. And because it's a peninsula, Spain is, but part of it shares the Iberian Peninsula with Portugal, uh, it has a wide variety of climates. It's absolutely amazing. And not only does it have a wide variety of uh, uh, climates, the Spanish are really very nice. They age the wine for you. So you have the opportunity of tasting older wines when you drink Spanish wines that you don't with a lot of other wines. If it has the words Crianza, Reserva, or Gran Reserva, 
those are all wines that have been aged, and I'll go into that a little later on how long they're aged, but uh, it's kind of hard to find aged wines, and there are loads of them on the shelves from Spain, and great values, I might add, too. Yeah, one of my favorite areas of Spain is called Galicia. Galicia is that little area of Spain that's up on the top between Portugal and uh, France, the border. And it's a little bitty swatch of Spain uh, that is often called the Green Valley. And the reason is the climate there is more like Ireland than Spain. And uh, they make a wonderful wine there called Albarino, which is a white wine from Spain and is just absolutely terrific. I love that Galicia area. We were there many, many years ago. And uh, part of visiting Galicia is to go to see the Santiago de Capistoma Basilica. It was part of the uh, medieval pilgrimage when you go from one basilica, Notre Dame, for example, to Chartres in France, uh, to San Diego, Capistoma, and you'd end up in Rome. And anyhow, you walked all over Europe, and it was done by penitents during the medieval times. And today they have a short little walk to that San Diego Capistoma uh, and like I said, I was there many, many years ago to see the incense burner. They have an incense burner that's about the size of an elevator car. It takes five men to swing this incense burner across the front of the cathedral, and it's worth the trip there to just to see how they do it. Actually, five men it takes to pull this huge incense burner across the way that, as I said, is about the same size as an elevator car. And uh, it's something you don't want to miss. So if you ever go to Spain and you find yourself up near the Galitic area, don't miss this cathedral of San Diego, Capostoma, and try and get there to see that incense burner uh, being swung across. I think they do it three times a day. But uh, the white wine there is Albarino, and it is, in my opinion, a wonderful white wine, and it's overlooked. If you try Albarino with steamed mussels, you'll know exactly what I mean. It seems that Galitica area is a lot like Ireland, and the fishermen from that area, uh, it is said, fish the waters of uh, our capes uh, up around Cape Cod back in the 1200s, 1400s. They've been fishing there a long time, and that Albarino goes very, very well with fish, that's for sure. Another wine that... Spain is very, very famous for, is their cava. Uh, Cava is Spanish sparkling wine. You know, the the Paris Treaty of 1911 gave the French the right to the name uh, Champagne. And we're one of the few countries, Australia is another one, that doesn't recognize that. So we make our own champagne in this country and call it champagne. But most of the rest of the world respects that. And in Italy, it's Prosecco or Spamante, uh, in Spain, it's cava, etc. along those lines. Um, anyhow, uh, the cavas from Spain really are remarkable wines. And again, they're uh, budget-like, although they're made in the exact same way of uh, Champagne in France. In fact, I can remember once many, many years ago uh, going to Cordonu's installation, which is the largest sparkling wine installation in old Europe. I I gather that uh, there's a bigger one in the Soviet Union part of Europe, 
than Cordenau, but Cordenau was established as a winery in 1551. So they have five, almost 500 years of making wine, and they've been making sparkling wine for about 300 of the last 500 years. And theirs are just remarkable. They have a tram that goes around the cellar, uh, a 12-car tram, so you know how big it must be, to take you through these cellars. And they make a wonderful richness. Uh, and it, like I say, it's made just like champagne, except it isn't priced like champagne. It's a little less expensive, as most Spanish wines are. They're real great values. And Cava is a, a great choice for everyday sparkling wine. You know, I, I often talk to people really shouldn't reserve sparkling wine for just super occasion. It's good anytime, and it's really a wonderful wine to have with food, a good sparkling wine. And any cava would be fit in that category very nicely. You've got lots of choices. There's lots of them out there. And uh, it just shows you that Spain can make some wonderful wine and a very affordable wine. The principal grape type in the red wines of Spain is Tempranillo. And Tempranillo is grown all over Spain. It's particularly well known in the Rioja area. And Rioja makes, in my opinion, the very, very uh, finest of Spanish red wines are from Rioja. Now, you get some disagreement with me on that, and that's okay. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. But mine, and I'm partial for one main reason. Many years ago when I was in Rio, I was with my good friend, the Marquis de Murrieta, and he had just acquired a big winery there, and we found a barrel together, in the, a rather large barrel, I might add, too. Uh, and what had happened through the years, it was from 1942, the numbers were chalked on the side of the barrel. I said, well, that's no good. Well, he said, let's see. Well, we looked inside. The tartaric acid had built up what was almost like a ceramic interior on the wooden barrel, and the wine was magnificent. And it happened to be my birth year, so I was very lucky. He gave me a couple cases of that, and for many years I was able to have my birth year wine on my birthday. And Rioja has a French connection. Uh, During the great phylloxa epidemic, which swept Europe at the turn of the last century uh, and decimated the vineyards everywhere. Well, a bunch of Bordelais, Bordeaux wine growers, went to Rioja and started to make wine there. Well, Phylloxera eventually got to uh, Rioja too. But meanwhile, these French had established themselves there, and they began blending wines. And that's where the aging comes in. Uh, Crianzas are aged two years. Reservas are aged three years. And uh, Grand Reservas are aged at least five years. And of those years, one must be in new barrels, uh, oak. And they use both American oak and French oak. And uh, they, for many years, only used American oak. But then in the last 10 years, they began to experiment with French oak as well, which French oak adds a little more vanilla and spice than American oak. American oak adds a sweetness to the wine, which is uh, detectable almost immediately when you're tasting wines, whether they're made with uh, American or with French oak. At any rate, the whole country is vineyard land, and between the Grenache and Tempranillo, 
which are two of they have many, many grape types in uh, Spain, as you might expect. But those are the top two to watch for, in my opinion. And, boy, I'll tell you, as I said, in the last 30 years, uh, with a good economy, et cetera, those winemakers are thriving. And the first thing, like any farmer does, they buy new equipment. And when you do that in the wine business, it's evident almost immediately in your product line. All that new equipment produces new wines uh, that are fresh and delicious. And used to be, as I said, if you were in Spain and you had the local wine and uh, restaurant or something, you got a little pitcher of wine. It was pretty good. But they didn't allow you to eat them or travel. You'd buy that, and by the time it got to the United States, the wine was totally different than what you tasted. And like I said, but, but technology has changed all that, and those wine regions now produce magnificent wines where they used to produce just ordinary table wine, and all of a sudden uh, they're getting some recognition, not just in this country but all over the world. And as I say, it, at bargain prices because uh, their wines in Spain are much less expensive than, say, Italy or France, etc., and uh, you really get a bang for your buck. I think I'd be remiss also if in talking about Spain we didn't mention sherry. Sherry is one of Spain's national drinks. It's a fortified wine. When we say fortified wine, that means alcohol has been added to the wine to stop the fermentation at some point. And these sherries are uh, usually 16 to 20% alcohol. And uh, they make a wonderful aperitif. You know, the Brits are great for, in fact, the industry, uh, Sherry really gets its name from Jerez de la Frontera, H-E-R-E-Z. And the Brits pronounce that Sherry. And so that's the name, Sherry. And they dominated the business there for many, many years, still do through the different export companies, etc., but sherry is a wonderful thing. They make several kinds. Fino, which is a light and dry sherry. Mazzania, which is one of my favorites. I love to have it with seafood. And then Amontillado, which is the more common one, and that's the most popular one in this country. It's kind of a medium one. Then you have cream sherries and then Pedro Jimenez, etc. And some of those old cream sherries are just magnificent to have after dinner, and they're not terribly expensive, and you can get some of those <laughs> that are made 50 and 60 years old uh, that are under $100 that are just a wonderful experiment to try a sweet sherry. Well, there you have in a nutshell, uh, I could go on for probably two weeks about Spain and their wines, but we only have a short little time here. And all I can tell you is get a corkscrew and pull the cork on some of that Spanish wine. You'll make some wonderful discoveries. Absolutely. And you can find all the things Jack's talked about at any Haskell's location. At Haskell's, we know a lot about wine, and we know a lot about pairing wine with food, and they're delighted to do that. There's a Haskell's near you where you can save big dollars on wine. There's a Haskell's in Bloomington, Excelsior, and Faribault right off at 35. Our Maple Grove Super Cellar is not to be missed, 22,000 square feet of wine. In downtown Minneapolis, we have free parking on Saturday and Sunday. There's a Haskell's in Minnetonka, Plymouth, St. Paul's Island Village, Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. And if you can't come in, go to Haskell's.com. And don't forget, at Haskell's, we do deliver. And by the by, there's still some seats available on next Saturday's 
boat cruise on the same cruise. Don't forget, at Haskell's, we do deliver. And by the by, there's still some seats available on next Saturday's boat cruise on the St. Croix. Fantastic. Jack, let's talk next week. I'm going to look forward to that, Denny. Jack Farrell from Haskell's.